How you doing? My name is Luke Such. And I'm Scott Meinema. And today we are talking about what makes Christianity unique in terms of comparing religious systems and religious thought. What causes Christianity to stand out? It, yeah. Or does it stand out? It's well, a fair, no, that, fair yeah, beginning. Yeah, the question came up, has come up a number of times. And, and a few weeks ago, uh, I go into the uh, Allen County Jail every week, and uh, one of the questions came up, what, what makes Christianity different from all the other religions? Yeah. What a great question to ask. So I thought, man, this would be a great topic for a podcast, because so, I think we all, I mean, that, that's, that's a question that we all are going to get faced with if we're... Yeah, if evangelism's on the radar at all. Right. I mean, that's that's probably a more honest framing of it in a question. Frequently, I hear it in a, a essentially a denial that Christianity is unique. All roads lead to the same place yeah. type of framing. Like, yeah. yeah, well, that's great for you. I'm going to go do my fill-in-the-blank, my uh, Hindu thing or Buddhist thing or Jehovah's Witnesses or or really just a philosophical materialism. All it, It's all trying to talk about the same thing, the, the old elephant analogy. Have you heard of the elephant analogy? Not Maybe not in this context. <laughs> okay. It's, it's a bunch of blind guys are, you know, an elephant is put before them and they're asked, what is before you? And one of them uh, grabs the tail, one of them grabs the leg, one of them grabs the trunk. And it's like, oh, they're they're all describing something different. Like, no, they're all describing the same thing. It's just different different pieces of that one thing that are all really one. And, and they're just misunderstanding the combination of them, but it's all the same. And we're, I mean, hopefully oh, yeah. you and I are going to say, no, that that is yeah. not what yeah. Christianity is about. In fact, it can't be because the claims of Christianity are necessarily mutually exclusive. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And also it's, yeah, that elephant analogy. That yeah, elephant. Now I remember. <laughs> Was there another one that I'm unaware of? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I won't. All yeah, right. Let me another, maybe talk about it another, another time. <laughs> we'll have to save that for another time. And yeah. So, so what makes... You know, if you're just sitting across the table from someone at Starbucks and and you're thinking through and explaining what makes Christianity different, uh, without without an understanding, I mean, we're not getting into right all the global religions and and trying to take those apart, but just you know, in the most succinct way, how would we talk about the differences of Christianity? Where you know, where should we start? Yeah. I- the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about this question is the exclusivity of Christianity. It really is like the, the first dividing marker is the Christian claim that it isn't all roads leading to the same place. In fact, it's a, it's a very narrow road that, that Jesus is going to say, I am the only way to the Father. There aren't all roads going to one place and you know it's all the same moral system that's trying to do the same things. That is absolutely cannot be the case because Christ is going to look you in the eye and say, these are not the same. There is one way to the Father, and it is through me, and that is it. So anybody who denies that is automatically at odds with that claim of Christianity. Yeah, because the view kind of is God sits at the top of a mountain, and Mm -hmm. you've got all kinds of different ways to climb the mountain. But we all all end up at the top. We all end up with God. And Christianity would completely disagree with that. In fact, Christianity would say, no, God, which is kind of another, leads us to another differentiation, but it's really God who 
we don't ascend to God. God. Yeah, we'll get to that one in a yeah. second, I'm sure. And I, I think we should probably clarify here. Uh, small o Orthodox Christianity claims that there's lots of mm-hmm. people who fly the banner of Christian that would be perfectly happy to accept the all roads lead to the same place type of mentality. And uh, we're going to vehemently disagree on that. I, I'll I'll dig in on that one. Uh, it can't, that, that is no longer the Christian message. You have abandoned what is essential. And uh, right, you've retreated off every hill going, oh, I'm not going to fight over that one, only to find that that last hill you retreated off, the sea is behind you and there's nowhere left to go. Mm. You've given it all away. That's not the Christian message. The Christian message cannot be, if it's consistent with your Bible, it cannot be that all roads lead to the same place. It is only through Christ. So I think I'd, I'd start there. Yeah, the exclus- the exclusivity of Christianity. Right. The ex- and, and more specifically, the exclusivity of Christ. I mean, Christ, and, and maybe that we just kind of, that'll be number two, right? The fact is that when we talk about Christ, Christ is the differentiator for Christianity, specifically not he's just a good teacher yep. or a good person, because a lot of religions have Christ somewhere embedded in their, mm. we'll just say in their theology, yeah, yeah. But, but, but the idea that Christ is the Messiah, the second member of the Trinity who descended right to mankind, who became flesh, dwelt among us, and and died on our mm-hmm. on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be a huge differentiator. Differentiating in what respect? Like, so, the, the, like we said, we're not trying to do a uh, a deep dive into other world religions. That being said, when Christ is given that unique place of descending from heaven, how does that differ from? What most religions are going to suggest? Most religions are going to suggest that you've got to you've got to climb your way to God. Going right. back to the the hill, right? Most most other religions, whatever your deity or deities are, right. Right. you have to earn favor with them. You have to climb. You it's your effort. It's well your works based righteousness mm. that's going to earn favor with your particular deity. Right. So I, I could think of I, if I'm my simple mind tries to frame this in a few. Uh, straightforward ways. The the difference is one of movement. Do I move up or does God move down? And mm. I can I can see the the uniqueness of Christianity in both aspects. The fact that God is willing to descend. So I frequently talk about this in Genesis 28 with uh, Jacob's ladder. And and there's it's a weird story. You know like what what is going on here? Why why does this show up? Jacob's on the, if you don't remember the story, Jacob's on the run for his life. His older brother, older twin brother, so older by minutes, Esau is murderously out to get him. And he's in the middle of nowhere. The text like goes out of its way to let you know that there's nothing special about where he is. He's he's just somewhere in the desert on the run. And in the midst of all that ordinariness, extraordinary shows up. God descends from heaven and makes a contact with Jacob, who's entirely undeserving. Yeah, at this point in Jacob's life, he is just a scoundrel. All he is is a deceiver and kind of like ugh, a guy you wouldn't want to be friends with. You wouldn't want to hang out with him. And yet God goes to him in the midst of all of the ordinariness. And you're like, that's astounding. And I'm going to 
talk about this coming up. Uh, we're recording this right before the church camp out. So if you're on that, I'm going to uh, talk about, well, not in this text in Genesis, but similar ideas that the the cross, if we are good readers of our Old Testament, the cross shouldn't be a surprise because we've seen God make this same type of move again and again, reaching out to those who are unworthy, condescending, not condescending, descending down to the level of those who are the lowliest of people. Jacob Mm -hmm. is on the run for his life. He has nothing. He's a fugitive. And God goes and meets him there. So that first aspect of the uniqueness of Christianity as God moves down. God yeah. descends to yeah. be with us. And yeah, John John 1, right? In the word, Absolutely. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. There's that, as you're telling the story, mm-hmm. again, the story of Jacob's ladder, that's, I mean, that's the imagery that comes to mind. I mean, that that's almost a foreshadow, right? Of, it, of, absolutely it and, is. Uh, but that's a whole other podcast as far as <laughs> well, reading cr- reading Christ into the Old Testament, yep. right? Yep. Our, one of our favorite things to talk about. We do love talking <laughs> about that. Okay, so that's the first movement. The second movement of man doesn't go up. Can you tease that one out a little bit more? Right, because this is really where the rub is. Are, how do you become acceptable to God? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the Reformation, right, was... Yes. Uh, was Primarily uh, focused on that, but how does one become right with God? And and every every religion on the planet says. And again, we're I think we're pre-wired for this. This is what sin does: is that somehow mm. I've got to work, I've got to you know work my way into favor with God. Uh, I I've got to have more good than bad. Mm-hmm. I've got to earn my 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 way with with my deity. And and so the it's it's you know we just call it workspace righteousness that somehow my works makes me righteous and this is so different from christianity because my works on their best day whatever that looks yep. like yeah. don't make me righteous it's they, christ they actually condemn me they do it's not even that they don't make me righteous it's that That's they are they are absolutely despicable and unworth they're not worth anything they are just another proof of my sin, of my inability, of my brokenness, of my falling short of the glory of God. That's right. And so I need, but but I need something to reconcile me to God. I so mean, the so problem persists. The problem exists. Yeah, yeah. I I need to find favor with God. I need to be reconciled to God. I need a relationship with God. And yet, again, whatever the best day, my best day, there's nothing I can do. Mm. It just, I'm just, and so. Yeah, the differentiation. And how many days are your best day? I mean, that uh, there was that one time in the mid '80s. Other than that, I don't think you've had one. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I told you about that. Oh day. yeah, it was a good one. But that—that's the beauty of, of the gospel message: is that it's not my righteousness, right? right? It's it's, but I need a righteousness that's not mine, and that's the the message of of Christianity: is there's Christ's righteousness that Christ. Bridges the gap that mm-hmm, exists mm-hmm. that in that that infinite gap that is unbridgeable. Christ, the second member of the Trinity, the 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 perfect righteous one, comes and bridges that gap. That's the, that's the beautiful message of the gospel. And okay, so when I I hear that, I think of there's so many like our our instinct is to push against that idea because if this is true. Then I have no claim. Like it, it, 
it is not, I didn't earn anything. And so I, I think my natural human instinct is to be like, well, but, 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 yeah, yeah, but, wait, well, but I, I want to be able to stand on my own two feet and I want to look at the guy and say, you owe me, right? The, the, uh, I don't know the, I'm searching for an illustration. It's not coming together in my mind, so I'm going to leave it alone. Elephant? But, it, no, elephant? it wasn't, it wasn't oh, the oh, elephant okay. again. No, no. <laughs> but the idea that I, I have some kind of claim, I have a right. We love rights. I love my rights, right? Uh, you can't take that away from me. I have earned it is intuitive to us, right? I, I, I have a claim that is based on what I have accomplished Look at this resume. Look at all that I've done. And when it's not there, I like instinctively get a little, I don't know, a, a little a, a burr uh, that's under the saddle. And you're like, I don't like that. I, I want to be able to rest on something I can point to. But when I, when I think more deeply about it, that is an immense relief. Because if any of my salvation is earned on the back of my good deeds— then it can also be lost on yeah. the back of my misdeeds. Yeah. Yep. And all of a sudden, my status before God is constantly in flux, a, a completely precarious hope that I like, I don't know, die on a day when I'm more good than bad and I like just tipped the scale in my favor. I hope that I still, but that's not the Christian message. It's that even in your worst moment, God cared for you enough to take on flesh. That, right, I mean, we were the Romans 5, 8 passage. It's, it's while we are still sinners that God died for us. He goes to us when we are entirely unworthy and undeserving. And then my salvation rests not on my ability, but on God's ability to fulfill his promises. There has been no more sure thing than the, the promise of the almighty God. And, and so... Oh my goodness, how much of a wave of relief, the burden that's yes. been completely lifted off the shoulders. And that is, I mean, to the Reformation question, that is what Luther comes to. That's he right. reads Romans 1 and he sees Paul quote Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous live not by their works. What do they live by? By faith. They've given away this, I'm going to earn it. Instead, they've placed faith in God. And now he, as he describes it in his preface to the Romans, it, it was like all of the world was opened up to me. The weight of my salvation was taken off of my shoulders and put on Christ's. And oh my goodness, what a relief that is. When you don't have to work yeah. to earn your favor with God, it is, well, there's, there's rest. Mm. There's, there's, there is, I, I, again, I think the, the right word is, is rest. I can, there's hope. There's rest. There is comfort. It is. It is so relieving to to know. And and so, but but again, we're we're hardwired for workspace righteousness, and so we have to keep coming back to that and reminding ourselves of that because we. And, and at some point, we probably ought to talk. Then where where does obedience fit? Where does sure. works fit? Right. But but anyway, differentiation between Christianity and and other religions. Christ has to be, I mean, we're kind of out of order on some of these, but Christ has to be number, I mean, he is the sure. difference. Yeah, and so the core of the gospel message, yeah. like the, the very heart of, of the what God. a Christian understands, and right, that 
the precondition to becoming a Christian is a recognition that I didn't earn it. Yep. It is what? Repentance. Well, repentance is an acknowledgement of wrongdoing, an acknowledgement of inability. Well, now I'm like, well, it's, I can't do this. I cast all of this, all of my hope, all of my desires uh, are unfulfilled in myself. I have to repent of what I cannot do, what I fail to do, and ask Christ to do for me. The gospel message then becomes a very, very clear, sharp fork in the road in terms of world religions. Say, is it on you or is it on Christ? Yeah. Yep. Are we? Did you want to talk about obedience in this one or you want to save that for another time? Yeah, maybe we uh, we, we should circle back. Um, if we have time, we can talk about where then, you know, where does obedience fit? Because we're certainly not suggesting that... I get to do whatever I want? No. Yeah. 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 No, no. Please, so, please don't mis- make that mistake. Okay, what other distinctives in terms of differentiating Christianity from other world religions? This one's huge. This is almost a mic drop, right? The tomb. Sure. The empty tomb. Yeah. The resurrection. I mean, if you think about every other religion, every other deity, uh, so where's your God? Mm-hmm. Where's your deity? Mm-hmm. I mean, the they're dead. Right. They're, they're gone. And we serve... A savior who's who's risen. So, a big differentiator is is the resurrection, the empty tomb, and and the conquering of death through that. Yeah. So, isn't this? I mean, I hope that there's something good out there in the next life, or that I get to go. I don't know, be an angel on some faraway planet or something to that effect. No, I get to have a resurrected body just like Christ does. Does currently, by the way, because the ascension does not undo the incarnation. Mm. He is human. He takes on flesh. And when he ascends, he has a glorified human body. And and man, that is a unique... Most of these other, you know, when you think about world religion, it's, it's some variation of Plato's like forms and matter. Like we're stuck in this broken material world, but someday we'll transcend out into this glorious spiritual world. That... That's not the Christian message. You actually take that physical body. It's glorified, but it's still a physical body, right? Christ appeared physically to the disciples. They could touch him. He ate with them. He wasn't a spectral existence. He was human. The resurrected Christ was human. And man, what a what a difference in how you view this world if you understand like no, physicality, the, the, the material is not bad, not inherently bad. In fact, it's actually inherently good. It's just been perverted by sin. Anything else? Mm. Well, as far as um, uh, the scriptures, uh, our basis basis of truth is going to be radically Mm. different than anything else. We could frame it a number of different ways, right? Sufficiency and authority of scripture, but, but our our understanding of truth would be a significant differentiator. And and here there's going to be some variation within Christianity for sure as to what is authoritative. So, right, in a, in a Catholic mindset, you're, which, it, I mean, we should understand Catholic as properly under the big umbrella of Christianity. Please don't make that mistake. Um, but there's going to be more. It's not just going to be Scripture as the final authority. There's going to be several final authorities. So tradition is going to be authoritative in, in certain Yeah, you're instances. talking about now, again, you're talking about within— Within Christian tra- denominations. Right, yeah. okay. So 
I, I mean, I completely agree with you when you're talking about comparative religions. I just want to try maybe nuance the within Christianity. There's more conversation on what is authoritative, and this is a big sticking point of the Reformation again. And the reformers aren't necessarily going to say all tradition is wrong. They're going to say all tradition is subject to Scripture, right? And they'll they'll take a little bit of different views on tradition depending on who you are. So there's a reason why a Lutheran church still looks like a little more Catholic church than a Baptist one does because you know, the Baptist church, Zwingli whitewashed his walls and took an ax to the organ because tradition was all bad, essentially, in Zwingli's mind. But that's another conversation for another day. Did somebody say church history? You want to talk about it? So, but the Bible being, you know, the Bible being the single source of, mm-hmm. of, of truth mm-hmm. has to be a significant difference. It's, um, and even as you talked about history and experience, all of that has to get ran through Scripture. Right. Um, and so we would just, we would say that Scripture is our final authority. Scripture is um, a significant differentiator. What are some, uh, anything else that comes to mind? I don't know that I have any others on my list. So, I... so where does obedience, where does obedience fit then? Yeah. Where, where, if, if, if my obedience isn't to Earn find favor, favor with yeah. God, then what? What's up? Yeah, my, I, I, for me, one of the most helpful ways to understand this is the location of the law. So I go to Jeremiah 31, and I look at the, the prophecy of the new covenant. And in the old covenant, where was the law? It was written outside on tablets of stone, and it was a standard that no one could live up to. Right? It was an external thing that was always there as a judge. Or you could look at Galatians 3, for instance, and this, this right, the this school teacher that's kind of like looking over your shoulder and, and reprimanding you for not living up to the standard. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The law requires righteous, the law requires perfection. And if and you it, want to be, live in right relationship right. with God and others, here's what's required. And we, we show up and say, I fall short. I and can't. it requires that because it's a reflection of God's character. Yes. So- you can't lower the standard, right? We're not going to be like, well, you used to have to run a six-minute mile, but we'll make it seven and a half because you're a little slow. No, the standard is the standard because the standard is a reflection of the Almighty God. So there's no lowering the standard. In fact, that standard is so significant that Christ does not forsake the cross. Hmm. He fulfills the standard and still goes to receive the punishment because the standard of God's justice must be satisfied. It is who he is at an ontological character level. So the the law previously stood outside. In Jeremiah 31, you find in this prophecy of the new covenant that the law will now not be written on tablets of stone, but be written on your heart. And it changes the location from being outside and critiquing you to Christ having fulfilled that law. It changes your relationship to it. I no longer am trying to earn a, uh, a checkbox of I'm in good with God. Rather, I get to sit under the glorious righteousness of Christ. He earned, fulfilled every condition of the law. And gave that status to me. And then, not only that, he took the punishment that I deserve. So it's in the, the theological word, imputation, in both directions. He gives me his righteousness. He takes the punishment for my sin. And then the law gets changed in terms of location. The standard does not change. 
the location changes. It's now inside, written on your heart, emanating out of you. So you could find this in a shorter span in, in the New Testament in 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, right? That's a conversation of, of justification. He did this so that he took your sins. He imputed our sinfulness to him. And then you get this weird little interjection, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Okay, so he died on the cross, took my sin, so that I have the possibility of living righteously. Or I could frame that another way. The ability for any person to live out the law is only available through the work of Jesus Christ. Because otherwise, we're always stuck with this burden of trying to earn. And if we are past that burden of earning, if Christ has earned for us, then we can live out the law in a way that is possible, that is acceptable to God, because I, I, I don't have this tension of motivation anymore. I've already been given status. I now live out the law to the glory of God. So I think, if I can boil it down this way, would you say then that the major difference is my obedience is in response to the love that he shows me yes. in the gospel. So my yes. my obedience is now not to earn favor with God, but it's simply... Because he it, gave me favor. And so that's just, obedience is, is my, the outpouring of a response yes. to what he's what he's given me. Yeah, that, I think you said it better in fewer words. Yes. I, it usually goes the other way around. Well, right? I, I got to give you one every once in a while. Um, I Yeah, I obey because of God's love for me. So what, okay, that's Not clear. to earn God's love for okay. me. Okay, so what do you do then with um, 1 Corinthians 10.31, 2 Corinthians 5.9, the idea of, you know, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to God. Whether mm -hmm. we're, mm -hmm. you know, Paul says, whether I'm absent or present, I want to be well pleasing to him, or uh, we're all you know. We need to be well pleasing to God because we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Where, how do we? Because that feels a little bit like I'm trying in my obedience to please God. Sure. Because we're saying, on one hand, I think what we're saying is God's already pleased because of Christ. Yes. And yet, obedience is important. I mean, we're God commands our behavior, God commands our, our obedience. So how do I please? Why? What's my motivation to please God? Maybe that's a better way to ask it. Does that make some sense? Well, my motivation is that, that God has redeemed me when I didn't deserve it. So that, in terms of motivation, that's there. How do I understand the uh, in all of the moral commands of the New Testament? Um, it is not Again, I mean, we go back to this this same type of framing. It is not the fact that I am trying to be a good Christian. A good Christian is one that relies on Christ. Mm. I rely on Christ. I, that is goodness, and it is a goodness that is beyond me. Now, I can live behaviorally, even in in my own thinking and my motivations, I can live consistently or I can live inconsistently. And I strive, I mean, we just talk about this in terms of sanctification, right? Growing and becoming more like Christ. I long to be like him in every way, 
But that's just not who we are. I mean, go to Romans 6 and watch Paul's own internal struggle. I don't do the good that I want to do. I do the very evil that I hate. So there's always a tension here, but the idea that, right, oh, well, now I just I just get to live however I want. Well, well that's relativism. It, it, the Again, the, the bigger theological word, antinomianism. I, I just get to, there. God saved me, therefore grace abounds, doesn't matter what I do. Well, that betrays a clear inadequacy in your understanding of what God has done for you. If if the salvation that God has purchased for you by the blood of Christ is not leading you to live for him, then I immediately question if you have understood mm-hmm. and if you have received the grace of God. So, and that's helpful. In 2 Corinthians 5.9, Paul says, we make it our aim to please him. Mm-hmm. So maybe I can ask, I'll try to ask the question a little bit differently. If God is already pleased with us in Christ, then why would Paul's aim be to please him? It, it, or I could ask it even a different way. If God is already pleased with me in Christ, yeah. when he looks at me, he, look, he sees the righteousness of Christ yes. and he is pleased. Yes. Then... How can I, in my, in my walk today and tomorrow right. and the next day, how can I be pleasing to Him? What does that, what does that look like? Versus, in a, if from a, just a relation, I think we're not talking about salvation. We're just talking about right. in a relationship standpoint. What does pleasing Him look like if He's already pleased? Sure, I mean, there is a way to live to God's glory. And there are ways that are not to live to God's glory that do not change salvation. And we, I mean, maybe we could think about it in terms of a marriage relationship where I say, I love my wife and then I'm selfish. And you're like, well, do you not love your wife anymore? Like, no, I, I still love my wife, but I, I wasn't consistent with it in my moment of selfishness. I could have been more self-sacrificing for her. Like I say that I love, um, but it, I don't immediately go, well, throw the whole thing off, divorce it is, you know, we've lost. No, 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 no. I've, I've not uh, lost, the, uh, what's the right way to frame this? I, I, I haven't lost sight of the bigger picture of the, the truth that I am a self-sacrificing husband, right? That, that is the call. I am to love my wife as Christ loved the church in Ephesians 5. I'm to give of my life, give myself up for her. I don't do it perfectly every time. But when I do, it is a proper reflection of the, the vows that I've taken. And, and that is honoring to God. Um, I am more consistent. That does, it's never going to be perfect. But saying it's my goal to please God, of course it's my goal to live out what God has given to me. I want to honor that in every way. And if I'm not doing that, if I'm living for my own glory, it doesn't immediately take away salvation or the fact that when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. It just means that I am living inconsistently and God is not getting the glory he deserves. Am I, I'm not sure that I'm scratching no, what no, you're I, at. I think, you, I think you are. I think you answered it. Okay. Um, I, would, I would frame your answer this way. Okay. When, you know, even in your illustration, you're talking about loving your wife. In that way, I mean, when you're living... The way that we please God is living by faith. 
that pleases God, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Mm-hmm. And so when you're loving your wife, not for what you can get in return, but when you're loving your wife because Christ loved you, right. you're living by faith. Right. That pleases God. When, when I am struggling with anxiety mm-hmm. over something and I, went, I go, wait a minute, God's good, God's sovereign, I can trust him. I can give that to him because he's he's already he's already written the outcome. In that moment, I'm living by faith mm. and it pleases God. Right. And so I, I think the connection with obe- where does obedience come? Well, it comes out of it's a response out of our love for God. And it's when we live by faith, we're not just saved by faith, but when we live by faith in those moments, all of those mundane moments of our life. That's pleasing to God. When I'm and, li- it, and it's the only way that's pleasing to God. That's right. Because I mean, we go back to without faith, it is impossible, right? Because now I'm I'm back to that tension of I'm trying to improve so that I am acceptable. Yep. And this brings us back to our broader conversation of what makes Christianity unique. This is well, that's what we're <laughs> that is what we're supposed to be talking about here. <laughs> uh, that is the like the calling card of what changes this, and and I mean quite appropriately how we ended up here. Um, I don't know that we plan to end up here, but this is where we are. Uh, this is a, it, it, this dynamic is a very unique one in terms of world religions. Yeah. Yeah. Any closing resources or thoughts you want to throw yeah. out there? I mean, this, this whole subject kind of falls under the heading of apologetics, I suppose. So yeah. I, 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 well, let me cut you off real quick on that. I, I think this could be valuable to people in either side of that equation. It could be in terms of how do I help frame the uniqueness of Christianity to a friend or neighbor or mm. coworker, or you may be struggling with this in your own thinking of what is, is Christianity actually the only way? So either side of that, I think could be helpful to anybody who's listening. Please uh, use it for what it's worth. Yep. Two books. Expository Apologetics mm, by uh, never Vody, Vody Buckham. Okay. Really, really good. And then What is Your Worldview by James Anderson. Really practical. I mean, you whether you're uh, you know, a believer or non-believer, it's, it's just written at a, at a popular level, and it's so, so helpful to think through some of these things. Great. I, I have one that's—it's not specifically to this question. It's more broadly to apologetics. But uh, Christian Apologetics and Resource Ministry, C-A-R-M— CARM.org is just a treasure trove of all kinds of questions like this. It's it's very accessible, short articles on all kinds of apologetic questions. So you can find things on this type of thing, comparative world religions, or on the, the canon of the New Testament, or on the deity of Christ, or whatever it may be. Anything apologetics related, there's going to be plenty of options on there. Okay. Great. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, come back again some other time.